Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. So anyways, if you want to grab a Bible, we're going to change gears this morning. We've been in 1 Peter, but we're going to jump into Hebrews chapter 10. We've been going through the book of 1 Peter, but this week I hit a roadblock just an experience of discouragement, frustration. Have you ever had those days where you're just down? You know, you feel like you can't accomplish anything. Every time you try to move forward, you seem like you're moving back. And you kind of look at yourself, you know, what impact could I possibly make? How could I possibly uh, make a positive impact in the lives of others? I just got to be honest, this week, Wednesday, just kind of down. Just, just worn out, weary, doubting myself, doubting what God's doing, going, God, what's going on in the world? Well, I had to jump into some scripture and really get support from others. And so Hebrews chapter 10 was my place. And so I'm just one beggar sharing with another beggar where you can get some bread. And so this is my bread for the week. And hopefully it's going to be an encouragement to you as well. So let's jump in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to pick it up in verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10, pick it up in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place... By the blood of Jesus and by the new and living way, he has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed pure with water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we can stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, let me pray for us. Father, to ask as we gather uh, this morning, we gather online, Spirit of the living God, would you move afresh among us? Open our eyes, Father, our hearts, our minds, our emotions, to recognize that you're with us as we gather in your name. Father, you are with us. You long to speak into our lives, to awaken us, to remind us of who you are, to remind us of what you've done, our place in the body of Christ, our identity in you. Stir us, Spirit, to see the goodness of who you are, and in that way, Father, to move out to the world with a new story and a new identity that leads to a new life. Father, we want to increasingly submit our lives to you this morning. We ask this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me give you a little background. Hebrews chapter 10. So the book of Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians. So there's a lot of language in here that's a little strange. Curtains, high priests, the blood of Jesus, it's referring to Old Testament temple worship, sacrifices, going to the temple, worshiping in the presence of God, seeing the sacrifices take place, knowing that you're distant from God because, see, as a believer in that time, you could only get so close. God was seen as this other presence. He was behind the curtain. He was in the middle of the temple. Only the really holy people could get near him. And only one time a year, one day a year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest could go into the presence of God And so you're in this space. And so what he's now telling us is that you can have confidence to enter God's presence. 
In the Old Testament, that idea of confidence and entering God's presence would have been a a very lost concept on their minds because it took a lot of effort, a lot of steps, a lot of ritual, a lot of religion just to even get near the presence of God. And now the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, guys, it's changed. In the Old Testament, it was come and see. Come and see the presence of God. Now it's go and be. The presence of God is now in you. And God wants us to have confidence to draw near to him. So if you jump back in verse 19 and look at the language that he uses Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence. Now, that confidence isn't something we have because we've done something different. The confidence we have is because of what Jesus Christ has done. And that confidence should be our confidence no matter how well our week has gone or how bad our week has gone. No matter if we're walking in feeling good, feeling pretty, feeling smart, feeling, feeling wealthy, or feeling poor, or feeling broken, feeling ugly. It doesn't matter. The confidence is not in you. It's in God and his welcome of you into his presence. Now, for me this week, I needed a little bit of confidence. I don't know if you've had a moment. Hopefully you guys haven't. But I had a moment this week. I just didn't have a lot of confidence. And the reason I didn't have confidence, and maybe this applies to you, is I was looking at me. I was looking at myself. I was looking at my accomplishments my abilities, my behavior. And I thought, why would God want me? And see, the focus of the passage is not, hey, let's get our eyes off of you. Let's start focusing on the one who gives us confidence. So as he unwraps this passage in verse 19, notice where he takes us, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of of Jesus Christ. He is the true sacrifice that cleanses us and makes us whole. And in God's sight, he says, you are my son, you are my daughter, and whom I love with you, I am well pleased. That's the confidence we have. To enter, watch this, verse 20, and I love the language, by a new and living way that is opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, Now, for the Old Testament believers, the curtain was that which separated you from God's presence, the fullness of his presence, and where you were worshiping. And now he's saying through Jesus, that curtain has gone down. The sacrifices, they're done. Christ is sacrificed once for all. He's the sacrificial lamb. And he goes on and tells us, not only is he the sacrifice, not only is he the curtain, so God's presence now dwells in us. And we're not distant from God, but rather we can have confidence. He goes on in verse 21, since we have a, here's another word, a great high priest over the house of God. Therefore, let us, verse 22, draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts, this is who we are now, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure. Because of what Jesus has done, we should have full assurance, a pure heart, and confidence to come into God's presence. Discouragement, the goal of discouragement is to keep you from drawing confidently into God's presence. What the enemy wants you to do is to focus on yourself. Our world operates on the notion of you are what you do. That's the basic assumption of religion. The reason that Christianity, now religion is just a structure you put around your faith, but the concept of religion is you are what you do. And so if you do good things, you're a good person. If you do bad things, you're a bad person. 
Now, the calling of the gospel is you are what Christ has done. That's a big difference because everything in, the, in your life has been, hey, rewards based on good grades, good effort, good athleticism, good outward appearance, whatever it is, you are what you do. See, in, in Christ and in the gospel, we are what he has done. And so my confidence isn't in me as I approach God's presence. My confidence is in what God has done for me. And so the encouragement of this passage is we need to draw near because Christ has come. Let us draw near with confidence. And again, what happened to me this week is because of the discouragement I was in, I didn't want to draw near. I wanted nothing to do with God. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to, right? I'm paid to draw near. That's my job. But discouragement, what it did is it caused the narrative to start to change. And when the narrative starts to change and you're focused on yourself and you don't see his glory and you don't see his goodness, then you got to start getting this energy to build yourself up. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is Jesus is better. Because see, many of the people that he's writing to were dealing with persecution. They had uh, converted from Judaism or really seen the fulfillment of Christ as the Messiah. They put their faith in him, started following Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing what he did. And now the world was pushing back. Their family was pushing back. Their neighbors were pushing back. They were losing out because they were following Christ. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is better. Because as you look out in the world and you see a mess, sometimes your confidence can wane, right? We see the confidence, we see the conflicts in our city. We see the conflicts in our politics. We see the conflicts in the church. We see the conflicts in our own home. We see the conflicts in us. And our confidence begins to go down because we're focused on ourselves. And the story of scripture is to ask, who is God and what has he done? And, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, guys, gaze on him. Recognize who he is. Don't allow the world to focus your attention on yourself. Rather, lift your eyes up to what God has done and the way that he has rescued you. And notice this, as he gets down in verse 20, 21, this is who we are. We are those whose hearts are clean. We have been cleansed from an evil conscience and our bodies are washed pure with pure water. You know, I think in this COVID season, for many that struggle with addiction, this has been devastating. I don't know if you recognize, but alcohol sales, they're doing okay. Actually, they're doing great. Pornography addiction, increasing. Conflicts in the home, yeah, it's going up. There is a lot of brokenness. When you see brokenness in the world and they're stressing you and they're stressing someone else, that stress just likes to multiply. And it's increasing. And I think in this time, even in the church, there's a lot of people walking in patterns of shame. Patterns where they are what they do. And so here they're addicted to alcohol. I'm supposed to be a good Christian. I'm struggling with pornography. I'm supposed to be a good Christian. I'm just shopping online all day. That's my thing. That's my high. I'm binge watching Netflix. And we start to, our confidence, right, starts to wane because we're in cycles of shame. How does that change? You know what I used to try to do? Just try harder. Come on, boy, buck it up. Tough it out. You gotta do better than this. You know you're better than this. You know you can overcome this. Hey, that's, that's great, but that's not, that's not the direction God takes us. He says, get your eyes off yourself and recognize 
in your worst state, your heart is cleansed by God. As soon as I drink alcohol and I'm starting to have that desire, I need to start worshiping. Even after the moment, and I need to say, you know what, in this moment, Father, I've completely failed you, and yet you call me cleansed, you call me pure, you call me beloved, I don't know why, you call me cherished, you call me your son, you call me your daughter. You know what changes the story, what changes us is getting into the presence of God. And in his presence, he begins to rework us, to rework our affections and our emotions. But we have to be encouraged to draw near. And that's a fight. It's a fight. Because so often our flesh is used to draw near to broken stuff. And we're good at it, right? We, you know, get in bed, just start binge watching something. We go to those things because it's a pattern. And we have to learn as a church to be discipled in a different way, which means to increasingly submit our lives each week to one aspect of who he is. And this week, it's simply to draw near. Which means as a community, we have to encourage each other to draw near. Let me, let me kind of unpack that for you. As I said, it's been a challenging week. And when I'm challenged, I talk a lot about community. But when I feel weak, I don't want to be around anybody. I isolate. I go off my corner and sulk. You know what I mean? You get in that space and you just like, ah. And you don't want to be around anybody. But here's what I need. I need, to, I need to tell brothers and say, hey, listen, when I'm pulling back, you pull in. I'm going to say no, but I'm saying yes. You have to have people in your life who know your brokenness well enough. Well enough, They're going to say, no, you know what? I know what you're saying, but I know what you need. And I'm not going to go on what you think you want or what you want to do. No, I'm going to press in to what you need. And this passage is encouraging us because of what Christ has done. Church, we have to be a community of people that encourages one another to draw near. Because there's going to be days where I am weak and you're strong and I'm going to need that support. And likewise, you need my support on those days where you are weak. Are we a community that thinks it's our responsibility to take the people around us and help them to draw in? That's God's calling. You're not an observer. You're not a participant. You are an active member of the body of Christ. And in this community and in this time, we've got to be that for each other. And I need your help because we cannot do it alone. The first encouragement is let us, let us draw near. The second thing he tells us, verse 23, watch this. Here here comes these let us. You'll see these statements. Because of who Jesus is, there are three statements. The second is let us hold fast, verse 23. What are we holding fast to? The confession and notice of our hope. Pressing into our hope without without wavering, without swerving, for he, and I love this, he who promised is faithful. You've always, when you're reading scripture, you've got to cling on to the good news moments. Now, what do I mean by that? We tend to cling on to the commands. You know, we tend to see, okay, hey, I need to not waver. Jeez, I'm wavering a lot. I need to hold fast to confession. Okay, I'm I'm not holding fast. But realize what scripture's trying to do is to show you the good news And when you get the good news in you of who God is and what he's done, it moves us towards obedience. And it's those good news moments that leads us to a place of faith. So he says, first of all, hold fast to the confession and the languages of our hope. And see, our hope is built in the gospel, which means each day we have to be reminded of the gospel. 
and the gospel being the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, that in his life, he covers my brokenness. In his death, he covers the penalty of my sin. In his resurrection, he's given me new life. He's now at the right hand of God the Father as my high priest, interceding for me. And one day, he's gonna come back and be my hope that cleanses the world. I gotta remind myself of all that stuff. If I'm gonna walk out in the world that's trying to put discouragement on me, or if I'm in a community and I'm around people that are tearing me down, I've got to say, no, it's the life of Jesus that's my life. It's his death that's my death. It's his resurrection that's my power. It's his ascension that's my mediation, and it's return that is my hope. And i got to get excited about that. That is the confession we hold to. And notice he ends that phrase in verse 23. Why do we do this? Because he's faithful. God is faithful. He's going to carry through. Jason, stop focusing on your faithfulness. Focus on his. And this language, hold fast, in the Greek, it means to tighten. It's the idea of taking a screw and driving it deep, holding something fast, tightening it down, fastening it so that it stays in place. And again, here's the problem is we're doing that with something. In this season, you're doing that. You're, you're tightening stuff, right? You're listening to some messages some attitudes, some patterns, some behaviors, and what are you doing? You're just kind of sitting in it. You know what that does? It tightens it. It secures it. It beats it down. And those negative thoughts, negative experiences, and emotions, we're holding fast to something. He's just saying, stop holding fast to that. It's not working. You've got to hold fast, and again, to your hope. And in 1 Peter, he tells us, we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have an inheritance that can never perish, it can never spoil, it can never fade, but it's kept in heaven through, for, uh, for us who through faith are right now shielded by God's power. We have to have those places of hope to run to because so often discouragement wants to take us in a different direction. And as a community, are we committed to each other to be that word of encouragement to lift each other up? You know, I heard a great leader this week. He said 80% of the time when you're dealing with a conflict or a problem at work or in the house, 80%, I was blown away by this, 80% of the time what that situation needs is encouragement. Now, I'm a 10% guy, if you know what I mean on that. When it comes to encouragement, I think the problem needs 10% of the time we need encouragement. 90% of the time we need a little bit of butt whooping. We need a little honesty. We need a little intensity. We need a little, hey, do you see the problems? Do you know what you just did? Don't you realize I've talked to you a hundred times about this? What in the world is your problem? Can you get it together? And what I realize is that's the brokenness of sin. If we were in a world in the presence of God, encouragement would be the way of life. But in our culture, because you are what you do, we love to tell you what you just did. And we love to build a story of discouragement around it. And this leader, who's a much better leader than I am, says 80% of the time, what you really need to do in that moment doesn't mean you don't need to address things, doesn't mean you don't need to have that conversation, but you need to start and you need to move in with encouragement. Because see, what encouragement does is it draws the best out in us. Just as we talked about a few weeks ago, we need to honor one another. And we need to honor not just those that are around us that are in high places, but we need to honor each person because they're crowned with glory and honor, as the Psalms say. Likewise, we need to encourage one another. There's a great story in the 1500s. Uh, Martin Luther, who was kind of a leader in the Reformation, was facing this, it's called the Diet of Worms. It was located in Worms. And, and there was this assembly 
that was gathered together and they were questioning what he was teaching and what he was facing was death. If he was found a heretic after this diet, he would go away and they would actually burn him on a stake. And as he was walking in, trembling, afraid, this German noble person took him aside and these are the words that he spoke to him. 1521, my dear little monk, thou hast today a march and a struggle to go through such as I nor other great captains have ever seen, even in our most bloody of battles. But if thy cause be just, son, go forth in God's name, for God will not forsake you. Luther, recounting that moment, said that word of encouragement gave him confidence. It gave him courage to stand before those assembled who were ready to take him down and say, guys, here I stand. I can say no more. When we speak truth into each other's lives, it builds the stability and strength that allows us to face the challenges before us. But are we a 10% people, or are we an 80% people? Sometimes the encouragement you need to start speaking is the encouragement to yourself. I am a highly critical person of myself, and I realize when you're like that, it shows up in your words to others. And God says, hey, the way you're gonna love others is as you love yourself, meaning self-love is not wrong. Because to the degree you care for yourself, well, you're going to care for others. And some of us need to repent because we just got this nasty attitude towards ourselves. And that's not the way God looks at us. See, it says in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, for whatever was written in former days, meaning in the Old Testament, was written for our instruction. So that through an endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Why do we lack hope? Are we finding time to have the encouragement of the scriptures? It's the encouragement. And what's the encouragement? Listen on this. It's the story of God over time. Sometimes we get into those little passages, you know, we're kind of in that narrow Leviticus passage or numbers, and we're like, what in the world's going on? But we have to step back and see that through history, God has been faithful. And because God has been faithful, that word of encouragement comes to us. And we see how God in his time, in those epochs of history, have spoken to men and women. And because he's spoken, they've been allowed to stand with hope and with courage. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. I love this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But then it says, Hebrews 3, 13, but exhort one another every day. Some translations capture it, encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He's saying encourage each other daily and so that you will not be hardened. Meaning if I'm hardened, what do I need? I need encouragement. That's not my normal way of, of flowing. I tend to think I need law, I need commands, I need to get pushed. He's saying, no, the reason we get hardened is because we do not have that voice of encouragement in our lives. We've got we've to be that support for one another. You know, I want to share this week, this weird situation took place. And some of you know about this. Some of you received an email from me, and it wasn't from me. 
It was from somebody else. But they were impersonating me and sending out emails to the church. And, and someone told me, you know, that you should, be, um, you should feel good about that because someone thinks you're important enough to impersonate. I didn't think about it that way, but I guess that's kind of true. I mean, you don't, anyways. And the stuff in the email wasn't, it wasn't good. And here's what happened, and this is beautiful. One of the guys that got it called me and he said, hey, Jason, I got this weird email. I know it's not from you, but I just wanted to make sure. And he said, hey, I'm reading this. It doesn't sound like you. It doesn't represent what you love. It doesn't represent your values. I just want you to know we love you. We care for you. We believe in you. And we're gonna, we're gonna support you through this. I've gotta tell you, that was Thursday. Everything shift. Holy cow. Because here's what I realized. What someone meant for evil, God uses for good. If we just encourage. All you gotta do is, see what we tend to do. The world says, hey, look at the person that sent the email and say bad things about him. No, 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 that's not the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is to pray for that person to hope good things for that person and to take that negative word and turn it around and say, you know what? I'm gonna use this broken thing to draw me closer to God, to draw me closer to each other, to allow it to move me in a way that's going to encourage and lift up. And when he said those words, and those, that wasn't the only person this week, a lot of you reached out and I, I appreciated that because it really did help. And I realized how quickly we can turn the narrative if we simply encourage and draw each other to that which is good. But that means we've got to have that hope and that goodness in us, right? We've got to be in the scriptures, in community, and in a place where we can stir one another up to love and good works, which means one hour on Sunday morning, it's not going to get you there. It's a good start, right? It's good. So when he says, and we're going to jump into this, do not give up meeting together. So watch verse 24. Here's the last encouragement. So let us encourage, let us consider how we can stir one another up to love and good works, Verse 25, not neglecting meeting together, as is the habit of some, but rather encouraging, which means to come alongside one another, all the more as you see the day draw near. Three encouragements, let us draw near, let us remain faithful, and then finally, let us stir one another up to love and good deeds. And when he says, do not give up, neglect meeting together, this isn't enough. Now, it refers to gathering as a church, but you don't stir anybody up in here. You don't move each other towards love and good works. Now that may happen as you're talking outside or you're connecting in the parking lot, but what he's saying is what we don't neglect is being in a community where you can do that for one another, where you're stirring each other up to love better and to do better because you already are better because of what God has done, which is the better work. And when he says that word stir in the Greek, it's kind of an annoying word. It describes what a fly does when you're trying to sit outside and you're, you're eating and enjoying your time. This, this bug just won't stop. It constantly is coming around, reminding you, buzzing your ear, buzzing your food, landing on everything you don't want. To stir one another up means to provoke, but notice towards love. That we have to be so dedicated to loving each other and being committed to each other that we know our weaknesses well enough that you can come into my life and when I'm pushing away and say, hey, I wanna isolate, I wanna run away, I don't want you around, say, no, Jason, I love you too much. I'm gonna annoy you, but I'm gonna annoy you in love. I'm gonna get close, I'm gonna get in, and I'm gonna let you know what I think about you and what God thinks about you because that's what we're called to do. Don't allow the comfort of community to run things. 
Allow your convictions in Christ to drive your relationships. So don't give up meeting, meaning we have to push into community where together, and listen, every one of you in this room is capable of this. This is not for trained ministry leaders. This is what the church does. This is how the church lives. And we have to build that for each other because I'll tell you as a leader, I don't have enough wisdom to figure this all out in COVID. We're trying to shoot at targets. And once we shoot, we realize the target's already moved 10 feet or 20 feet or half a mile. And we need to be that for each other in a way that we're trying to build that for one another, encouraging each other, stirring each other for love. And then notice he says also for good works, encouraging each other to be our, our best. I was reading a story this week about Charles Wesley, who was an itinerant preacher, also wrote a lot of uh, the hymns that we love, a lot of the old hymns that have stuck around for generations and generations. A lot of them come from Charles Wesley. And, you know, he was one that was very active, uh, a driven man. But there was a point in his life where he just got sick. He got worn out. He gave too much and he didn't take in. And he just found himself sick for a number of weeks and months. And a group of friends actually came, kind of moved into his house, started taking care of him, cooking for him. It's like two or three weeks had gone by. He got his strength back. He got his conviction and his faith back. And when his friends left, he wrote the hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. And in that hymn, there are these words. Jesus, Jesus, the name that charms our fears that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears. Tis life and health and peace. It was the name of Jesus through the love of people that awakened him to life and health and peace. If we're struggling with discouragement and death and a lack of peace, what you need is people with Jesus in them. You need people with encouragement in them. And, and, and really, in some ways, you need to be that person as well. Truett Cathy, who is the founder of Chick-fil-A, he, in a conference, was talking about encouragement. And he says, how do you identify someone who needs encouragement? He said, it's simple. They're breathing. <laughs> we all need encouragement. Larry Crabb, who's a Christian author, psychologist, psychiatrist or something, he said this, encouragers must constantly remind themselves that the people with whom they rub shoulders are facing problems in life, problems which but for the grace of God are ultimately overwhelming. It is this conscious awareness that people are dealing with these problems that are overwhelming that can give encouraging the power to even the most trivial conversation. I was reading a book this week about a man and he was on the subway and this, this other gentleman walks in with his three little kids, you know, and the kids were going nuts, right? You know, climbing on the walls and he's getting angry and finally he turns to the man and he says, can you control your kids? And the man looked up, to, up at him and it was obvious that his eyes were red. He said, oh, I'm so sorry. My wife just passed away. And he said, you know, in that moment, first of all, he felt like a jerk. But the narrative changed. It wasn't just that his kids were acting out. His kids didn't know how to respond to losing their mother. And here's a man that had no idea 
how to engage in life. And we don't know, do we? The stories of people that are living around us, whether it's in the church or simply in a store, when we see kids acting up or we see problems, what do we do? We tend to discourage. What if we shifted? What if we shifted and like the body of Christ and like God was to us, we started to be the 80 percenters who encourage and lift up and bring truth and hope. How might it change the way we engage in the lives that we live? You know, Paul, the apostle Paul, when he writes a letter, he often ends the letter by thanking people. You know, just, hey, thanks to this guy, he brought us lunch, and thanks to this woman and this person. And I love when you get to these, these passages, there are just these obscure people. And it's Romans chapter 16, verse six. And all it says is, greet Mary who has worked hard for you. Now, Mary's not the mother of Jesus. This isn't some Mary that's well-known. This is just Mary. This is Karen. This is Sue. This is Paul. This is Phil. This is nobody. But for thousands of years and for eternity on, Mary is remembered and encouraged because she worked hard. And Paul said, you know what? I got all this theology, and, and Romans is like the Everest of books of the Bible, but I want to end by telling Mary, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. And all that encouragement, it's tied to Jesus. When you look at the life of Jesus, he spoke truth and life. One story, Jesus encounters a centurion, and a centurion means bad. A centurion means a jerk. It means racially the wrong kind of person, politically the wrong kind of person. This is somebody that kills people, tears lives down. He looks at him and he says, you know what? In all of Israel, in all of Israel, I have not seen a person with greater faith than you. If he had a bad day, how do you think he walked away? He's like, what? Me? There's no way. The Jews hate me. Everyone around here hates me. I'm just a rotten, scummy person. And Jesus says, no, I want you to understand. I have not seen a deeper faith in anyone else than in you. There's a woman that was anointing his feet, and everybody had discouragement for her, right? It's too expensive. Don't waste it like this. What in the world are you doing? And he says, no, 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 no. You guys need to shut up. This is beautiful. And what she has done is going to be remembered for generations and for a lifetime. To those that were being torn down, he lifted up. To those who felt like they were too far away from the presence of God, he spoke truth. And imagine if we, just each morning and each day and in community, we started hearing a little bit of that from the Spirit. Because here's what the Spirit wants you to know. Here's what God wants you to know. You are my son. You are my daughter, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. Realize that's what the Father said over Jesus before he had done anything at his baptism. Before he had done any miracles, right? Before he'd raised Lazarus from the dead and multiplied bread. Why did he say that? Because his identity was to drive his life. Church, that's what the gospel is. It's our identity that drives our life. And each morning we get up, even though we've kind of fallen, we've, we've fallen down, we're angry. We've got to hear the voice of the Father saying, you are my daughter. I love you. I'm pleased in you, meaning I'm pleased that you belong to me. Now go forth in my name. That's the church. And that's what we need for each other. And I'm saying, I know I need it. I know I can't do it without it. 
And so let's be that community. In this season, election's coming, right? And all that's gonna be going on. Let's not, let's not anchor down and secure that stuff, though it's important. Let's anchor down first in the hope of the gospel and allow that to drive us into everything else. Father, I wanna thank you. Father, I wanna thank you for the encouragement of this community. This is a community that lifts up. Bergen Park Church is a place where the discouraged get encouraged, where the broken down find themselves lifted up. And Father, I just pray as we move forward that that would continue to define who we are. That Lord, we would be those people 80% of the time that's seeking to lift up and build up and support, to honor one another and to call out the Marys in life and say, thank you for what you have done. But Father, most of all, we recognize the encouragement we have is the encouragement that comes from you. Father, in our worst days, in our dirtiest moments, you've looked at us, even in our sin, and said, I love you. You are my beloved. I have cleansed your heart. And though your behavior displeases me, who you are, it pleases me. Father, I pray for anyone who's never cried out and said, Father, accept me on the basis of Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. Pray right now through the power of the Spirit, they would just welcome welcome the gospel, welcome Jesus Christ into their life as a free gift of grace unto salvation, that Jesus, you've died for our sins, you've risen again, and you're gonna come back as our hope. May we claim you as the center of our lives and our foundation. Help us to move forward this week with the encouragement of who you are before our eyes. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys stand. I'm gonna sing the blessing over us. Next week, I may have to get Burke to come up here and sing it in its original form but y'all stand and just receive this blessing have a great week and we'll see you soon so lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon and be gracious to you lord turn his face toward sing it one more time y'all sing it out so lord bless you and keep you make his face shine upon and be gracious to you lord turn his face toward you and give you peace